You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We welcome to our show Professor Jerry Epstein, Gerald Epstein, who is a professor of economics at UMass Amherst and co-director of PERI, the Clinical Economy and Research Institute. We are so pleased that we can have Jerry Epstein with us today because he has just published a new book, which we want you to know about, and there is a web webinar coming up that will celebrate the book and has this extraordinary panel of people who will be discussing the book. And then there is the book launch coming up as well. The webinar will be February 2nd from 1130 to 1245. The book launch will be at Amherst Books on February 7th, a week from today at 7 p.m. as well. And the title of the book is Busting the Bankers Club, Finance for the Rest of Us. Busting the Bankers Club. Professor Jerry Epstein, thank you so much for being with us today. Busting the Bankers Club, a really fascinating title. Why the Bankers Club? What's the import of that? Well, the book is about why banks are so powerful despite crashing the economy on a regular basis. We know the 2007-2008 financial crisis that cost uh, homeowners trillions of dollars and taxpayers trillions of dollars to bail out the banks. But despite that, and we've had uh, more recent crises as well, the banks are more powerful than ever, politically, economically. And the uh, question my book addresses is why? What, what is the source of the bank's power? And <clears throat> I argue that it's not just the banks. Banks are a very unpopular uh, group of people, but it's all their allies. There are many allies, different economists, lawyers, the Federal Reserve, regulators who support the banks. And my book talks about them as the bankers club. And if we're going to bring uh, the bankers under tow and create a better financial system, we have to break, bust the, the bankers club. Okay, tell us more about the club because uh, you describe the club as being, well, as having as its members, the regulators, the regulated, and all the, all the, uh, fellow travelers of the regulated. I, I don't quite get it. If you're, you're not supposed to be in cahoots, the regulators are not supposed to be in cahoots with the regulated, but you make it sound like they are. That's are right. they? Yes. Well, many, uh, many of them are. Uh, you know, you don't want the, the, the foxes guarding the hen houses, but that's the way, that's the way it's working. <clears throat> uh, there's a concept in political science called capture. Uh, the idea that the uh, regulatory agencies like uh, the Federal Reserve, the uh, SEC, etc., are actually operating in the interests of the industries, the firms that they regulate. And part of the reason why this often happens is because the, uh, they hire these uh, bankers and others to uh, work for them as regulators, and the regulators sit there and, and, and give uh, uh, benefits to the banks and the, and the regulated industry. And then when they're done with their term, they go and they get a really high-paying job at the industry itself. Uh, this is called the revolving door. And so um, this often happens with many regulated industries, and it certainly happens uh, with finance. Now, my book is also, though, about what I call the club busters. That is, the groups of individuals, activists, regulators, politicians, like for example, our own Senator Elizabeth Warren, who try to fight against the banks, to try to reform the financial system so it operates uh, for the rest of us. 
And so there's a battle going on between uh, regulators who are captured by the banks and others who are really trying to help uh, get, the, get the banks under control and make them work for us. Well, I'd like to know two things in that regard. First, I want to know if all of this hoopla that we've heard that the banks are now safe, there are all these stress tests, they won't go out of business. And then, of course, well, Valley Bank did go out of business. There was a huge bankruptcy in the banking industry for the last two years after all of these reforms were theoretically implemented. Is the banking system in the United States sound and safe as we are told over and over again that it is? You know, uh, that's a really great question. When President Obama signed the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act in 2010, he said the era of, of too big to fail is over. That meaning uh, we're no longer going to have to bail out the banks. They're going to be responsible for themselves. And as you just said, uh, in, in the spring of 2023, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and several, several other banks um, either went bankrupt or almost did. And the Federal Reserve had to come in once again and bail out those banks um, and the, uh, the global financial markets as a whole. So no, uh, the too-big-to-fail problem, that is the problem with financial um, instability, with bankers being able to take enormous risks and then the taxpayer coming in and bailing them out when they get in trouble, it's still with us. And so that's one of the uh, arguments in my book, is we need to have a, a much more fundamental reform and restructuring of the financial industry than we did in 2009, 2010. By the way, Trump made it much worse. When he came in uh, in uh, 2016, he started, even though he ran on a, pl a populist platform, you know, ra railing against the banks, railing against Hillary Clinton for taking money from the banks, et cetera, he immediately put in all these Goldman Sachs bankers into his administration, and they started uh, trying to cut back on many of the Dodd-Frank reforms. And presumably, if Trump gets in again, he'll among many other bad things he'll do, he'll start doing that as well. Biden, uh, in his defense, really tried to put in some decent regulators in, some club busters, as I call them, and they've been uh, trying to close some of these loopholes, uh, have important regulations on cryptocurrency, for example, which is very dangerous. Uh, so it's a struggle between the bankers club and the club busters, and it really makes a difference who's in charge. Professor Jerry Epstein, do you, do you distinguish between the sort of the Bank of America kind of banks and the Wells Fargo's kind of banks and the Greenfield Savings, Florence Savings kind of banks? Absolutely. So when I'm talking about the Bankers Club and the, the financial industry that's creating a lot of problems, what I'm really talking about are the mega banks, the huge banks, the Bank, Bank of America, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, these huge banks. And part of the problem is they, they've controlled the political process. Um, and the smaller banks, like Greenfield Savings Banks or Florence Savings Banks or many of the community banks that we have here, they're left on the sidelines. And it's even worse than that because when you have a, a bank bailout, of, like Signature Bank that happened last spring, um, that uses funds that are in the Federal Deposit Insurance Fund. And in order to replenish that fund, they have to raise taxes or fees on all of the smaller banks that are paying into that fund. And so... Uh, banks like Greenfield Savings Bank have to pay uh, when there's a bailout, uh, like we had uh, in 2007, 2008, and as we had more recently. So part of the argument that I make in the last third of my, my uh, book is that we really need to build up our smaller banks. 
and, and break down the size of the much bigger banks, the mega banks, in order to make our system work more fairly and provide the services that we all need. So let me ask you this, Professor Jerry Epstein, who is also the co-director of PERI, the Political Economy Research Institute at UMass Amherst. Are you saying that the banks should be busted up, split up, that the banks that are really big, mega banks, they should be divided up and the government should do that? I understand it's a, it's a, it's a long road from here to there, but is that what you're saying? That's one of the things that I'm saying. That's an, that's an important part of, of the reform program that I propose towards the end of my book. Um, many of your listeners might have heard of the Glass-Steagall Act that was passed uh, in the 1930s by uh, the Roosevelt administration under the New Deal. The Glass, we, used, we had these mega banks uh, that, that helped to cause the Great Depression. They were part of the problem. And so Roosevelt administration came in and said, okay, we're going to break them up. We're going to make them decide whether they're going to be an investment bank, which is more speculative, underwrites uh, corporate bonds, and, and has more opportunity to speculate, from the commercial banks, the mom-and-pop banks that take our deposits and make loans to small business and houses. We're going to break them up. And um, that led to about 30, that and other regulations passed during the New Deal, led to about 30 or 40 years of relative stability in our, our banking system, until uh, the Bankers Club got together and passed um, laws to get rid of the Glass-Steagall Act in the 1990s, under Bill Clinton, by the way, so this isn't just a Democratic-Republican thing, um, which allowed them to merge back together and create these mega banks. So what I'm saying is let's implement a new, modernized Glass-Steagall Act. Uh, I'm not the only one saying this. Uh, others have proposed this as well. And this will make these banks... Um, much smaller, which does a number of things. First of all, the mega banks right now are too big to fail. That is, if, if they are going to go bankrupt, they could bring down the whole economy with them, as Lehman Brothers did in 2008, 2009. So the government is put in a corner. They say, you know, we have to bail them out in some way. If they're broken up into smaller pieces, they can't threaten us uh, that way. Number two, um, it creates more space for the Greenfield Savings Banks or Florence Savings Banks of, of the world to come in and provide the, the services the communities need. Number three, it reduces their uh, political power. It, it really helps to break up the Bankers Club if they don't have that kind of political power, which uh, Citibank, Bank of America has now. And uh, number four, it really will help pr promote more equality. One of the things that this uh, Bankers Club has done and the mega banks have created is a much more unequal uh, economy. Uh, you get these, there's a, you know, CEOs make 400 times what the average worker makes or more. And part of the reason is because of the way that finance is able, these mega banks and the financial markets more generally, is able to create wealth out of thin air, partly because the government keeps backing them up. This creates enormous pay for the top CEOs and keeps um, income and wages for those at the bottom uh, down, and it, it has, creates other problems as well. So breaking up the mega banks is one step in my uh, argument as to how we can make finance work for the rest of us. Professor Jerry Epstein, when, when Bill first asked you about the title of your book, Busting the Bankers Club, you listed the Federal Reserve as a member of the Bankers Club. And I'm always... Uh, confused. I'm, I've actually read a lot about the Federal Reserve, and it's still this, an, this amorphous, strange creature that's kind of public-private. It's, 
it's, and yet it's a central bank in essence. So what should a Federal Reserve look like that it doesn't look like now? And how can that help to bust the Bankers Club up? Yeah, the Federal Reserve, I call them the chairman of the club. Uh, that is, they're the uh, steadfast supporters, historically have been steadfast supporters of the banks. Um, it's a very undemocratic institution. You're right. It's this funny animal. When it started, it was actually owned by the banks. Um, then under the, when the Great Depression happened, uh, the government under Roosevelt re- made a, a bit of a separation between the banks formally and the Federal Reserve, but still <clears throat> the board members of the Federal Reserve, the regional Federal Reserves like in Boston and San Francisco, et cetera, many of them are still bankers. Um, and the, they have very few representatives from other groups on the boards of these of the Federal Reserve banks, uh, people of color, uh, people, union uh, members, et cetera. Uh, so the first thing we have to do, number one, is make sure that the people who run the Federal Reserves are more representative of, um, of us. They're more workers, more people of color, more women, et cetera, number one. Number two, the Federal Reserve has to uh, broaden its mandate. Right now, in fact, the the Federal Reserve, after many struggles by clubbusters, the Federal Reserve has a a dual mandate, to have high employment and low inflation. But they always prioritize low inflation rather than high employment. The reason was because banks don't like inflation. Inflation has a a complicated story, but banks don't like inflation. So we need to go back to a situation where the Federal Reserve has representatives that, con- that control it, that reflect the population, and where it actually makes policy in the interests of workers, communities, and not just uh, finance. And I just want to follow up with just one more question, which is they're responsible for two different types of uh, uh, sets of responsibilities. One is transactional money, right? And, and the other is, we read about all the time, they set the interest rates. They make determination of how much banks have to pay in order to borrow money from each other. Could you... Could you explain those functions for us and, and what, in a rational world, the Federal Reserve would be able to do? So uh, the central bank has several functions. The first is um, maintaining the, the payments process, as you said. A second is making monetary policy, that is, setting interest rates to uh, affect the overall macroeconomy, inflation, unemployment, et cetera. And a third uh, major responsibility is the Federal Reserve is uh, a, a primary regulator of the banks. Um, so again, we have this capture problem uh, p- potentially there. Now, uh, what the Federal Reserve does also is it, act- it actively bails out the banks and the bankers when they get into trouble. So what we need the, F- the Federal Reserve to, in each of those uh, functions, it needs to stop seeing its role through f- finance-colored glasses. It needs to see its role through people-colored glasses. So don't bail out the banks. Make monetary policy that serves the needs of everybody, which is a be- means a better balance between um, inflation and uh, employment. And regulate, uh, uh, regulate the banks so, so that they serve the rest of us. In terms of the payments process, I and other people have proposed that we have something called Fed accounts. That is, instead of having to pay high fees uh, at Bank of America or Citibank or something like that, that the Federal Reserve create a, a accounts for every American, um, low cost, 
accounts that we can use uh, to make payments. And, it, and they'll, they'll be electronic payments, so there'll be an electronic account. And this is an example of how they can run a payment system um, that rather than pr provides fees for banks, uh, provides services for us. We are speaking with Professor Jerry Epstein. His new book is Busting the Bankers Club, Finance for the Rest of Us. When we come back, we're going to hear about this all-star cast of this webinar you can go to and get 40% off the book, by the way. It's coming up on February 2nd. We'll tell you how to do that. We'll tell you about the book launch at Amherst Books, February 7th at 7 o'clock. And we're going to hear more about the second part of the title of the book, Finance for the Rest of Us, right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on